Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On the night of September 9th, 1926, 18-year-old Erdman Olson attended a social dance in Seneca, Wisconsin. Erdman was known for his reckless behavior, but on that night, he pulled his flask of moonshine from his pocket and took liberal swigs in front of everyone. This was out of the ordinary, even for him. Prohibition was still in full swing, and Erdman didn't usually flaunt his drinking. As he spun around the dance floor, grabbing the hands of any woman he could, the guests started to gossip about him. He already had a girlfriend, a naive farm girl named Clara Olson, of no relation, who lived 48 miles north in the town of La Crosse. The party guests wondered why Erdman was out at this dance alone. Were he and Clara in a fight? Had they broken up? Was that why he was getting so drunk? Little did the partygoers know, Erdman's drinking would soon be the least of their concerns and suspicions. That's because after that night, the people of La Crosse would never see Clara alive again. While Clara's untimely fate would cast Erdman under a cloud of distrust and accusation, the truth of who perpetrated her demise remains unknown. Much of what we know comes from newspaper articles and court testimony. Larry Shekel's well-researched book, Murder in Wisconsin, the Clara Olson case, also paints a lifelike picture, though it's important to note that theories also drive the narrative. What we can say is that Clara Olson didn't deserve the fate that she suffered. She was a young woman with her whole life ahead of her, and who wished more than anything to pave a path based on integrity. Unfortunately, the pressure to lead a decent life, as it was defined during Clara's time, may have clouded her judgment. Likewise, the sheer will to escape those pressures may have enabled her killer to evade justice as well. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on Clara Olson. This week, we'll cover Clara's budding romance with her beau, Erdman, and detail how it went south. Next week, we'll discuss the fallout of Clara's murder and the frustrating circumstances that complicated what should have been a simple search for justice. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R.
There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Clara Olson was born on September 12, 1904, to a farming family in the small rural town of La Crosse, Wisconsin. The sixth of ten children, Clara was close with all of her siblings, especially her sister Alice, who was three years younger than her. Clara's parents, Chris and Dina, were first-generation Norwegian immigrants. They ensured that their family formed a tight-knit community with the other Norwegians in their county. When the Olsons weren't working hard on their tobacco farm, they could be found at the Utica Lutheran Church, praying and socializing with other Scandinavians. The Utica Lutheran Church held plenty of events. Several times per year, it would hold so-called basket socials to raise money. Clara spent her youth at these socials, dancing and dining with neighbors and strangers alike, catching the eyes of eligible young men. But even though Clara's natural beauty and effusive nature earned her plenty of attention, it wasn't until she turned 21 that she truly fell in love. On June 21, 1925, Clara attended a basket social at a farm near the Utica Lutheran Church. The minister had invited local families well in advance, so even though it was hot and muggy that day, skipping out would have been rude. Everyone was there. As soon as Clara set foot on the farm, she locked eyes with someone she'd never seen before. Erdman Olson was a suave, handsome man, just one month shy of his 18th birthday, and he seemed just as interested in Clara as she was in him. The two struck up a conversation, during which Clara learned that Erdman's sophisticated air stemmed from the fact that he came from a wealthy family. He was even enrolled in college and owned his own car, a brand-new Ford Roadster. After chatting with Erdman all night, Clara accepted a ride home with her new love interest. Erdman drove her and Alice back to their family farm in his Roadster, causing Clara to squeal with glee as he sped down the dirt roads. After Erdman dropped the girls off, Clara stood on their front porch. She grinned and waved as Erdman drove away. Alice could tell her sister was smitten, But based on Erdman's reckless behavior that night, she wasn't sure she wanted Clara to date him. Oh, isn't he wonderful, Alice? He drove quite fast. It was thrilling. His own car. How impressive. He also had a flask of moonshine in his pocket. Well, he's hardly the only one breaking the law there, dear sister. No, he's not. Don't you think it might be a sign of his true character? 
It's a sign that he's a wealthy, worldly college boy. <laughs> it was clear to Alice that nothing could stop Clara from pursuing a romance with Erdman. So out of loyalty to her sister, she kept mum about her concerns as Clara and Erdman embarked on a whirlwind summer romance. Even as the girl's parents expressed concern that Erdman refused to come inside their home, Alice defended Clara's decision to date him. She pointed out how happy Clara was, so the Olsons chose to let their daughter enjoy herself. By September of 1925, it seemed Clara was deeply in love with Erdman. Unfortunately, he had to return to Gale College, about 24 miles north of La Crosse. This meant that regular visits between the two simply weren't possible, so they continued their courtship through letters. Every three or four days, Clara apparently received a new letter from Erdman containing details about his life at school, his feelings for her, and his plans for his future. She would respond in kind. Alice often snuck peeks over Clara's shoulder as she read. She wanted to look for anything suspicious— The rumor mill churned since Erdman left for college. For example, Alice had heard that Erdman was a bad influence on his classmates and that he was unfaithful to Clara. Alice, give that back. No, see here? He mentions attending two dances this past week. What do you think he's doing there? Sitting in the corner alone? Of course not. So you're aware that he almost certainly dances with other women? Yes, Alice, I am. And you're fine with it? Erdman and I have something special. He may dance with other women, he may even take them on dates, but he doesn't write to them the way he writes to me. He doesn't tell them how much he cares for them or what he thinks of their futures together. He doesn't tell them he loves them. As far as you know. Enough, Alice. I love Erdman and he loves me. Can't you see that I'm happy? I can. So you'll keep this to yourself, right? You won't tell father what you've heard? I'll always keep your secrets, Clara. Alice stayed true to her word, even as their father begged her for information on Clara's beau, whom he had yet to meet. Every time Erdman came home from college, he made excuses to avoid visiting Clara's family. He wouldn't even walk Clara to the front door when he dropped her off. And more often than not, he'd ask Clara to meet him somewhere far from the family home, forcing her to walk great distances to see him. Clara's family worried about the relationship, but they also saw just how enamored she was. She wasn't one to make reckless decisions, so Chris and Dina chose to trust their daughter. They never seemed to consider the possibility that Erdman could influence Clara, that he could persuade her to do things that would not only tarnish their reputations, but would have grave consequences. Clara's parents never considered that whenever their 22-year-old daughter went off with her 18-year-old boyfriend, they might be doing more than just talking. Coming up... Clara is forced to confront the ramifications of her adult relationship. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. 
It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday only on Spotify. At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you, but also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them, which is why we created Clean at Sephora. Curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. And now, back to the story. In the early months of 1926, 22-year-old Clara Olson and her boyfriend, 18-year-old Erdman Olson were in the throes of a passionate long-distance relationship. Clara's family quietly disapproved, but they chose to let Clara enjoy herself. Whenever Erdman returned from Gale College to visit Clara, the two spent their time driving in his roadster down long, winding private roads before parking on one of the notorious lover's lanes scattered amongst the countryside. Clara may have seemed naive to some, but she understood the consequences of sex. After all, she witnessed animal births firsthand on the farm. So even though rumors spread that claimed Erdman forced her to go further than she wanted, Clara ignored them. She knew exactly what she was doing. While it appeared the rumors about Clara's involvement with Erdman were false, Other rumors about Erdman's behavior were unfortunately true. Had she known the truth about the man she was dating, she might not have been so quick to get intimate with him. Back at Gale College, Erdman's behavior was consistently reckless, irresponsible, and downright alarming. He was known for getting into fistfights with his male classmates, shooting his .22 revolver into the wall of his dormitory, and participating in gruesome pranks. For example, he once tied a noose around a dummy and hung it out the window of his dorm room. His conduct became so unacceptable that in April of 1926, 18-year-old Erdman was given the choice of being forcefully expelled or leaving Gale College quietly on his own. He chose the latter but fought to be reinstated. He appealed to the school authorities, in which he promised to be better. Despite Erdman's pleas, His past behavior had been so upsetting that the school was reluctant to let him back. Ultimately, it took a secret visit between Erdman's mother, Anna, and the president of Gale College to allow Erdman to re-enroll. But just as Erdman began to get his life back on track, something happened in La Crosse that threatened to derail his progress. In May of 1926, Just one month after Erdman was reinstated at school, 
Clara Olson realized she was pregnant with his child. Because they weren't married and because Erdman's reputation was so tarnished, Clara kept this information to herself as long as she could. She didn't even tell Alice. But as the months went by, it became more and more difficult for Clara to keep her secret. She somehow procured a maternity corset, which helped her hide her growing belly for a time. But by August of 1926, as Clara entered her third trimester, she knew she had to speak up. She had already written several letters to Erdman, but as soon as she mentioned the pregnancy, he stopped replying to her. Under threat of being ostracized from her community, Clara needed Erdman to return from college and do the right thing. She needed him to marry her. So on August 17th, Clara escalated her attempts. She penned a letter to Erdman's parents, Albert and Anna, whom she had never been given the privilege to meet. On gold-edged stationery, Clara appealed to their love for their son and expressed hope that they would encourage him to marry her in order to save his reputation. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Albert Olson, I know you folks will be surprised to hear from me and what I have to say. Understand I'm a good friend to your Erdman, and I'm sorry to say that we're in a pinch and have to get married. I wrote Erdman a letter some time ago to come down and marry me because I do not want to get him in trouble and I don't want my parents to know. Please be good to Erdman. I know he never meant to leave me. It is only four and one-half months left now until I will be expecting. So, I hope Erdman and I can get married this month and make our lives worthwhile. The Olsons received Clara's letter two days later. Upon reading it, they stared at it in disbelief. Then, they walked to the back of the house to show Erdman himself. Even though Clara assumed Erdman was 24 miles north, too busy enjoying his college experience to write back to the mother of his child, he was actually just down the road. Well, what do you have to say for yourself, son? We've never even heard of this girl. Is she telling the truth? Clara might be very well with child, but I can assure you that child is not mine. Albert, what do you think? I think we ought to call her down here for an examination. Let's get a doctor to take a look at her and, well, tell us what our options are. We can try, but I can assure you she'll refuse. Clara clearly wants to keep this baby, and she wants to trap me with it. Come now, we don't know that for sure. Don't we? I can't imagine any of her other suitors are as wealthy or educated as our Erdman. Plus, he's so young. She probably thought she could take advantage of him due to his age. Exactly! I'm not fully grown yet. I can't be a father. <sighs> I believe the baby's not yours, son. You have nothing to worry about. Despite his parents' words of encouragement, Erdman knew there was more than enough reason to worry. He knew the child was his. He had lied about Clara dating other men in order to save face in front of his parents. He also knew that Clara held proof of their intimacy. He'd owned up to their sexual relationship more than once in his letters to her. Letters with dates that corroborated Clara's claims. 
Denial wouldn't serve him much longer. Erdman took his time considering his options. He went about his chores at the farm, considering whether or not he should just go through with it and marry Clara. Marrying her would certainly be easiest. It wouldn't be the worst fate, I suppose. A wife, a farm, a baby. A life in lacrosse. A boring, useless life working on this farm forever. There's no way out, is there? I'm trapped. That shrew trapped me. And as long as she's alive, there's nothing I can do about it. But only as long as she's alive. In the weeks following his conversation with his parents, it's possible that Erdman began to form a desperate plan to regain control of his future. There were plenty of factors to consider. Even if he figured out how to do away with Clara for good, the letters he'd written her would confirm that he was the father of her baby, and he would fall under suspicion for her disappearance. There was also the matter of getting her to meet him in the first place. He'd been avoiding her, after all. Even though her letter said she didn't want to tell her parents about the true nature of their relationship, that was weeks ago. She very well could have given up on him and told them anyway. If Erdman showed up at the Olsons' home now, her father would have every right to place a proverbial shotgun in the small of Erdman's back and march him right down the aisle to ensure the legitimacy of his grandchild. Finally, on September 6, 1926, 21 days after Erdman's parents received Clara's letter, Erdman sat down to write her a response. He'd thought through everything, the letters, her family. Now he just needed Clara to follow his orders. Dear friend, I suppose you might think me awfully neglectful, but I haven't been. I have been to the hospital for a while and had a couple of operations. I have decided that the time is right for us to show action. We will go and get the ceremony over with and then come back in a week or two. You'll have to coax your brother to take you down to Seneca to the dance on September 9th and I will pick you up there. Do not take any more clothes than what you wear, as taking more will cause suspicion. Also, write a note and leave it someplace where it can be found in a day or so, and say that you are going away for a while, but not to worry. Don't mention why you are going, nor mention my name. Please destroy this letter and all of my other letters. Do as I have asked you to do, and everything will be okay. If you don't, your chance might be shot and I might make a scarce hubby. So if you wish to avoid disgrace, do as I say and keep mum. P.S. Remember, do as I say and destroy all the letters. Clara received Erdman's letter two days later, just one day before the dance in Seneca where she was supposed to meet him. As she read the note, she didn't question the fact that no one in town had mentioned anything about Erdman being in the hospital. She may have attributed his strange requests as proof that he wanted to make their marriage seem as legitimate as possible, even to her family. Clara might have wondered why Erdman was being somewhat silly in his demands. After all, the biggest evidence of their exploits was already growing in her stomach, and he could hardly destroy that. Four months later, when she had the baby, 
everyone would be able to concoct their own timeline of events. But if getting rid of some correspondence and running off to elope in secret was what it would take to get Erdman to make her an honest woman, that was probably, in Clara's eyes, a small price to pay. Unfortunately, as Clara prepared to follow through on Erdman's orders, she had no idea that the price she'd pay would be much, much larger. Coming up, Clara blindly follows Erdman into a trap. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. And now, back to the story. On September 8th, 1926, 22-year-old Clara Olson received a letter from 18-year-old Erdman Olson, her neglectful boyfriend and the father of her unborn baby. In his note, Erdman asked Clara to destroy all of their love letters, which proved Erdman was the father, and sneak out the next night to a dance in nearby Seneca, Wisconsin. Erdman claimed that from there, the two would secretly elope out of state, ensuring the legitimacy of their future child. Clara's younger sister, 19-year-old Alice, watched as Clara read and reread Erdman's letter. She desperately wanted to look over her sister's shoulder to see what Erdman wrote, but before she was able to, Clara folded the note into neat squares and tucked it into her bodice. Then she got to work. As Clara lumbered up the stairs to her room, Alice marveled once again at her sister's strange gait. She couldn't pinpoint why Clara was moving a bit more slowly these days, but something was certainly off. Clara, can I come in? Uh, What do you need, Alice? Are you feeling well? I'm fine. Why do you ask? You seem to struggle climbing the stairs. Look at you, you're out of breath. Alice? Please, Clara, just tell me what's happening. What did that letter from Erdman say? Why haven't you heard from him in weeks? Are you feeling poorly because you're- I'm not feeling poorly at all. And the letter from Erdman is my business. Stop snooping and leave me alone. But you used to tell me everything. Well, I can't anymore. I'm grown now. Let me handle things on my own. Alone in her room, Clara selected a book off her shelf and opened it. 
Erdman's letters tumbled from within the pages onto her bedspread. After looking through them lovingly, she scooped most of them up in her hands and carried them down to the kitchen. Clara lit their wood-burning stove, then tossed the letters in. She wasn't sure why Erdman wanted her to destroy their correspondence, but she also wasn't about to ruin her one shot at salvaging her future, simply because she didn't do as he said. As she watched the papers disintegrate into ashes, Clara didn't allow herself to feel sad about losing those precious relics of her relationship. She focused on the fact that she was about to start a whole new chapter with Erdman, one that she hoped would be even more meaningful. Plus, she'd secretly saved two of their letters anyway, ones she simply couldn't bear to part with. She planned to hide those on her person when she left the next day. Meanwhile, Erdman was also busy preparing for their trip. We don't know what that preparation entailed, but in his book, Shekel speculates he could have packed his car with a pick, shovel, and axe, items he may have gathered from around the farm. But Erdman didn't plan to do any sort of farming. As he pulled onto the road, author Larry Shekel theorizes he likely had different intentions in mind. He was on his way to dig a grave. In Shekel's book, he envisions Erdman leaving his home in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and driving about 40 miles south to a heavily wooded community called Rising Sun. There, perhaps he hopped out of the car and took his equipment a few yards away. Then he set it all down atop a knoll known as Battle Ridge. Per this theory, Erdman would have spent hours digging on Battle Ridge and ultimately ending up with a shallow hole about six feet long and three feet deep. On September 9th, 1926, Erdman Olson and Claire Olson each prepared for their escape. They both did their best to behave normally throughout the day, tending to their duties on the farm, sitting down to dinner with their parents, and keeping mum about their plans to leave. When night fell, Erdman dressed in his finest clothes, stuck his trusty flask in his pocket, and told his parents that he was headed to a dance in Seneca, about 48 miles south. Then he hopped into his roadster and drove off, intending to enjoy the dance a bit before embarking on his plans for Clara. As Erdman made his way to Seneca, Clara waited with bated breath for her family to fall asleep. Once the farmhouse was quiet, she wrote the letter Erdman had instructed her to leave behind. Dear folks, I know you will all be surprised to find me gone as I'm leaving this evening. Please do not worry about me, as I will not be gone very long. I am taken good care of and will be back soon. Don't take it too seriously, as it will mean nothing. Only a little surprise. I will be back soon for my trip. Clara tucked the note under a lamp, then continued to sit quietly. She still had some time before she was to go and meet Erdman. Even though he had asked her to get a ride to the dance to meet him, she couldn't manage that without arousing suspicion. Since Clara's family knew that Erdman had dodged her for months, they were loath to assist her in anything that might enable their relationship. So instead, the young, pregnant woman waited. 
willing the clock to push closer and closer to midnight when her family would all be asleep and she could finally leave on foot. Over at the Seneca dance, Erdman's night was starkly different from Clara's. He whirled around drunkenly on the dance floor, flirting with every woman he could. Marie! Marie Anderson! You come right over here and dance the foxtrot with me this very second. Oh, all right, Erdman, if you insist. But you know I'm friends with Alice Olson. I'll have to tell her that her sister's beau is soliciting dances from other women. Tell little Alice whatever you want. It won't matter. Erdman, are you well? You could barely keep step. I'm just standing, Marie. I'm excellent. Maybe you're the one who can't keep up. Perhaps you've had a bit too much from that pocket flask of yours. Oh, yeah? Perhaps you haven't had enough. Erdman, you're not going to drive in this state, are you? Erdman, answer me! Erdman ignored Marie and stormed out of the party. The guests watched him leave with a mixture of entertainment and concern. Yes, Erdman was known for being a bit wild, but that night, there was something different about him. Something grim. Oblivious to all those who watched, Erdman hopped into his Ford Roadster, where, according to court testimony later on, an unknown stranger was already seated in the passenger seat. Apparently, Erdman had picked up this strange man prior to arriving at the dance, but his guest had chosen to wait in the car rather than join the festivities. Erdman peeled out of the lot and began driving toward La Crosse. As soon as the clock reached midnight, Clara slipped out of her front door and began walking south down the road, ready to hop into Erdman's car whenever he approached her. Clara's father, Chris, turned in his bed when he heard their front door open and shut. Clara was an adult, allowed to come and go as she pleased, but he did wonder why she hadn't told him she was leaving or where she was headed. He decided to try and stay awake until she got back, just to make sure she was safe. But sleep quickly took hold of the tired farmer, and he nodded off into a dream, or rather, a nightmare. Chris dreamt that he walked out of his bedroom and over to Clara's, where her bed was empty. Suddenly, he became overwhelmed with the knowledge that his daughter was dead. A horrifying image then flashed before his eyes. Clara was face down in a shallow grave in the woods. Chris woke with a start and shook his wife awake. It was hours after Clara had left home, and he asked Dina if she heard their daughter return. Dina said she thought so, and Chris sighed with relief. The Olsons drifted back to sleep, certain that Clara was safe and sound. In reality, Clara was in the passenger seat of Erdman's roadster. She was thrilled to be back in the presence of her lover, but surely worried by his erratic driving, not to mention the stranger sitting next to them in the car. She may have clutched her stomach, instinctively protecting her unborn child, as Erdman sped south along the Mississippi River. Erdman, darling, I thought we were headed north. What? Aren't we? No, dear, we're going south. 
You promised me that we would get married in Minnesota, where we would get licensed and wed all on the same day. Where are you taking me? I just need to make a small stop. Don't you worry, my love. Everything is fine. All right, I believe you. But please, tell me, who is this? Look out! <laughs> wow, he came out of nowhere. Erdman, are you fit to drive? Who is this man with us? What is going on? As Erdman pulled the car to a stop in the middle of nowhere, Clara finally accepted that something was deeply, deeply wrong. She couldn't think of a reason why he would take her into the woods in the middle of the night, certainly not one in which she came out of the situation unharmed. Perhaps at that moment, Clara decided to make a break for it. She might have thought she could run to the highway, outsmarting her intoxicated companion, and hitchhike her way back home. Or it's possible that she stayed put, hoping that Erdman wouldn't dare hurt her in his own car, as it would create evidence. In this case, she would have been forced out of the car. Somehow, Clara Olson did end up standing outside Erdman's Ford, shivering in the early autumn night breeze. And before she could say anything, before she could turn around and plead with her lover, Clara was struck in the back of the head with a heavy metal object. Clara moaned and crumpled to the ground, falling face first into the dirt. And even though she'd almost certainly died on impact, her assailant struck the poor girl again with full force, ensuring that Clara Olson and her baby were gone for good. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Clara Olson's brutal murder. For more information on Clara Olson, amongst the many sources we used, we found Murder in Wisconsin, the Clara Olson case by Larry Sheckle, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live. Till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Ellie Reed, with writing assistance by Sarah Batchelor and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Drew Lawn, Melissa Medina, and Jen Wong. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. 